evening, everybody. Welcome back to Spirits and Ghost Stories. I'm your host, Thomas Aarons. And I'm Carly Bird. Week 82. Happy October. Happy spooky season, Miss Bird. And also, she has some exciting news. I do. You have, oh. you are now collaborating with your own thing, your oh, pony playtime. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, um, we have recently joined another podcast so we are well i am co-host to another podcast called unbridled talk where we talk about the lovely sport of equestrian mounted games along with a lot of other things that go hand in hand with being an equestrian and riding and loving horses so um we're talking about the importance of health uh we are bringing on important um guests that are involved in mounted games across america in our community our organization and also bringing on cool people like nutritionists for for horses we have them lined up within the next couple of months or so and we have great expectations for the show i think it's a really good step in the right direction just for you to branch out from under my wing yeah yeah i feel like i'm ready to take this big leap of faith by myself be a big girl and um figure it out on my own now if you guys want a little bit more details link in the episode description i'll kind of give you guys a helping hand there but besides that we have some other news we got to see a movie we finally got to see this movie i've been wanting to see this movie since tommy told me about it and he was like carly it's an awesome movie so far it sounds like the budget has been really good for it but basically it was created by a bunch of youtubers that got together and know how to make a freaking movie so we watched <sighs> talk to me yep talk to me really good indie film made on a very low budget all australian actors yes. uh the the youtubers uh they're australian as well so i thought it was a really cool indie production but it was terrifying as hell it really was i remember looking over at tommy a couple of times while we were watching the movie and he had a pillow covering up most of his face except for just like right below his eyeballs and um i thought for sure he was gonna have nightmares i was think i honestly thought well, should i turn this off like yeah I was is this too much for tommy i was hallucinating that night i was seeing some shit that i wasn't supposed to see and that wasn't because of extracurricular uh substances or anything it was just literally like it was a freaking it was good. It was not. It was, it was a not, good movie. It wasn't torture porn. It wasn't gratuitous like that, like a Saw movie or something like that. There so. were some things that were like. But it wasn't torture porn, you know. No, not torture porn. But what I'm getting at was like their effects were so good. Like their. They their, used their budget really well. Right, right. So um, what was it? Their costumes, basically, you know, how they dressed up these demons and made them look horrifying and then that one scene where they showed you where that kid's soul has gone to mm -hmm. where there's like oh my gosh satanic shit happening and you're like oh like it feels so gross and it does sticky and, nasty. and part of this was based off of drugs and ouija board definitely yeah 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 yeah, and, yeah. and so and i mean by drugs like drug use and things like that but it's a really good movie we really think you should go see it very terrifying not overly bloody like um like maybe the exorcist or something like that but it's like scariest movie i've seen in a long time it so. really was it was so you know what the vibe was for me it basically gave me the same creepy vibes as when we watched um hold on 
you're going to know the name of this movie and I'm so angry with myself for not knowing it. But there were three or four men going through the woods and... The Ritual? The Ritual, yes. So the first time I ever watched The Ritual, that gave me such a... Anxiety. Disgusting feeling inside because of the... Again, low-budget indie film, but the way the actors were just so phenomenal and how they decided to use the budget and the plot. Mm -hmm. Right. The plot of the story um, was just so creepy. And I remember it. You loved that movie and you were like, I want to watch it again and again. And we watched it. And I, it probably took me like four times watching the movie where I like didn't feel like I needed to close my eyes at certain scenes. Yeah. And they use a really good and it's not trying to become a movie review kind of show. But right. Um, right. It, <sighs> The, how they made the woods a character and it was very claustrophobic. They made the woods very claustrophobic. They had a lot of very good imagery right. and tension. Yeah. I think a lot of times in movies, they try to give you too many scares. Like if it's an hour movie, we have to pepper every five minutes. The less scares you have in a movie, it's generally better because each one hits a lot harder. And then the anticipation, the anxiety of the next time, especially when you watch it the first time and you don't know what's going to come up next. It's like if right. you go to a haunted house for the first time right? and you're not used to where everyone pops out from. Yeah. Exactly. But talk to me, basically. Let's go ahead. And the reason we're bringing this up on this lovely podcast is because that movie has inspired the choice of stories this evening, which is basically demonic possession, um, visiting hell for a minute. And um, that brings us to scary things of the news. Yes, and so, so and so this is my scary thing of the news, which kind of ties into her theme when it talk when we're talking about talk to me. It's this, Carly. Could you uh, pop out? What does this title say right here? Heshkina's out of body experience to hell. OBI. So here we go, guys. Enjoy. Started from the beginning. Completely detached from my body, and I was sucked under. In no time, there was, there's not any human time that I can compare it to. It was like that, faster than that. Um, and I felt myself sucked and plunged down. Next thing you know, I'm back where I was. That huge demon was in my face screaming, messenger of God, why are you here? You don't belong here. Now, one thing I'm going to tell you guys, the way that these demons talk, it's so strange they can't get words out clearly with human ears i would not have been able to hear clearly but with my spirit and i'm sure with the knowing god gave what all right we're gonna stop right there <laughs> we got so much breakdown of this thing um where where should i begin you can't hear him with human ears no but god gave her the ability to understand what they were saying is, is mental health a issue? 100%. Um, I know all my Christian viewers here. I just think like if you make the video though, you need to understand what it sounds like, right? So clearly this is someone that didn't get their medication. Bipolarism? Schizophrenia? What well, I did read the comments down below and I do have to agree that um, some drugs mixed with alcohol probably did come into play for this um, out-of-body experience. Yeah, and that gets us back, guys, to the lovely comment section before we finish off this Oh, yeah, let's go for this, it. This video. Can I read it? So, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not saying she's lying outright, but this seems like a lot of narrative to assign to all of this, sort of how people apply narratives to dreams. Right, well, it made me think of dreams, too, because, like, I've had some crazy, like... Um, 
what I call really realistic dreams. This guy, I love Disco Nightly here, guys. So she saw the people suffering in hell and immediately knew their entire life story and that they had to relieve all the moments they denied God. Relive. Absolute bullshit in order to push her narrative. For some (laughs) reason, I feel like he had that kind of voice. She's just sharing an experience. Doesn't really seem, in my opinion, like she's trying to sell religion or God. Just a believer who went on an intense trip. Oh, God. Okay. Bro. Maybe too vivid was a strong phrase. Just seems like it was really a great act acting if she didn't experience what she described. More importantly, it seems to me the fear of God in a good way might more beneficial to your life than not fearing God. By believing hell is possible and God isn't real. Like this, this is amazing. And I would assume who this is the thing to me, guys. I'm sorry. I'm not reading this whole thing, but. This person had a lot of passion what they're saying here. Clearly, if you took your time to argue with somebody over Reddit or to leave those massive Yelp reviews, where are you in your life right now? Like that to me is insane. Yeah. Um, I saw a few, I saw a real vision of the future three months in advance. What the fuck does that's, that mean? That's just one random comment. I saw mine very next day, just maybe seven hours after having dream. Okay, okay here we go, ladies and gentlemen. This is the this is the one we're going to end okay. on here. Okay, hot take. Considering that there is more than enough documented evidence to suggest that foresight is a very real thing, it just can't be explained by people that don't experience it. But what else do you call a dream that ends up being real in the future, if not a vision? Or gaining knowledge about something you know nothing about through dreams. I'm not saying that they aren't dreams, because they are. Every time it has ever happened to me, I was asleep and recorded them in my dream journal. Only for them to come true days, months, weeks, or even three years later. But just because they are dreams doesn't mean they aren't visions. The human mind is capable of a lot of shit that humans don't understand yet. Edit for clarification. I'm not defending this chick, though. Why did you edit it? She just sounds like she's lying her ass off when people report having visions or OBE. They almost never know what it means exactly. And often, OBE is just a misinterpretation of a dream. I believe in clairvoyance and obe but this is 100 percent bunk did we even watch enough of it for our viewers are we good are we satisfied uh, no i'm just like this if i'm correct this is all one thing right we didn't even get to talk about how sh- how the demons talk with uh, their mouths. oh we're gonna get there but like this guy edited this but it's the same message yeah which means instead of just rewriting the damn thing he attached an edit to his Isn't mistake. that what people do on Facebook all the time, though? Let's yeah, be honest. I, I just think it's just... It's so... Laziness. You put in that much work to begin with, but I then know. you're going to not get across the finish line there and finish this off? All right, let's hear a little bit more of this. Gave me, I was able to hear what they were saying, but they speak kind of like like this, like... Like, like that, and there's this thick spit, like this thick spit it almost looks like skin tearing with strings almost like a cheesy look i know it sounds i just don't know what to compare it to i'm sorry and it's like this type sound and so he 
Again, I don't. That's a great look. If I saw her in public, I definitely think, yeah, she's a little, she's a little nuts. She probably is an inventor and has a warm blood, something like oh that. Oh my gosh. And has everything taken care of for her. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sorry. Sorry if I'm knocking the equine girls out there. Uh, the guys yeah, you're like with. hating on my, you know, your kind. other podcast. You're hating on my kind. You're hating on my kind, bruh. Um, I mean, I can say they're mouth breathers. It don't matter. It's not like my show. But I, you guys should go over there and subscribe. Um, I keep like I got me <laughs> just screwing up. I still have this chick's face frozen. <laughs> um, can we make that part of our intro? I want to make that part of. Our oh intro. no, 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 no! It sounds like our. That literally sounds like our dog when you give him a little cream. He goes. Ah, I'm sorry. So I found that way funnier than anybody else. But the fact is, scary thing in the news that uh, she basically, thanks to social media, decided to post that to the world, share it, and then people are defending her with large paragraphs on either side of the spectrum. Prepare yourselves for the invitation. The sun was setting. Jane watched the glorious colors splay across the, the sky from where she stood in her antique shop. Staring out the dusty window at the world beyond, the sunset in Barreton, North Dakota, truly were magnificent. Certainly more beautiful than anything else. Hold on. Certainly more beautiful than anything else in the sleepy and dilapidated town. As she basked in the glow of the sunset, Jane caressed the mysterious key in her hand. Where had it come from? More importantly, where did it lead to? Jane would give anything to find out the answers to those questions. Beginning after the first snowfall in early November, the residents of Barreton had begun finding grotesque-looking snowmen in their yards and small silver keys inside their mailboxes, carefully placed in sealed, unmarked envelopes. No one knew exactly who had made the snowmen or left the keys, but nearly everyone blamed the local teenagers. With merely 800 residents, Barreton was an especially small town, and young people often found the oddest ways to amuse themselves, even if it was at the expense of others. When 87-year-old Tyler Parrison spotted one of the figures in his own lawn, he had been so surprised that his heart started to race, subsequently resulting in his hospitalization Amy Harrison had screamed herself hoarse at the sight of hers. Even Rodney Rickson, the most dedicated hunter in town, had been so alarmed that he shot his snow figure with a bow and arrow, convinced that some sort of mutant had crawled onto his property. When he realized that it was just a mound of sculpted snow, he humorously put red dye all over the spot where the arrow stuck and posted the photo on the internet. Although the majority of the Barreton residents were horrified and angered by the sight of the monstrous snowmen, Jane found the situation rather amusing, perhaps even somewhat thrilling. It had obviously taken a great deal of time and effort to construct the snow demons, and whoever had done so possessed incredible artistic skill. They really were gruesome. Jane knew that better than anyone else since she had taken a brisk walk around town just to see every single one. 
Jane had also discovered a dreadful snow figure on her property, but she hadn't screamed or shot at it. Truth be told, she had rather admired it. It was noticeably larger figure than the others, with several arms, numerous eyes, and rows of sharp and pointed teeth. She was planning to keep it for as long as possible, and she was extremely annoyed when Officer Henley and Officer Palmer arrived unannounced on her property and promptly kicked the snow figure until it disintegrated into formless piles. Some aggression. As Jane watched the snow creature, which oddly appeared to be hollow on the inside, disintegrate, she had a sudden urge to kick the officers until they were nothing but bits of blood and bone. She always suppressed violent impulses, of course, yet she did wish that she had taken photos of every ferocious figure. The presence of the police led Jane to consider the possibility that there could be a lunatic loose in town. It would certainly be exciting if there was because nothing interesting ever happened in Barreton. Years ago, it had been a thriving factory town supported by an active sugar mill, but now it was little more than a rusted ruin. In the summer, there were two tepid town fairs, Riverfest in July and the Modern Corn and Apple Festival in August, but Jane rarely lingered long at either. The villagers were quite tiresome with their petty gossip that was precisely why she also never joined any bingo nights or bone builders group exercise classes. By far the most enjoyable occasions were the rummage sales where Jane both sold and bought things. She was always hopeful that at least one item would turn out to be possessed by a small, by some dark force, but thus far all objects appeared to be quite normal. The only other occasions that the town residents seemed to get excited about were related to baseball and football, and such things did not appeal to Jane. She hated sports. Secretly, Jane was addicted to watching true crime programs on television, and so she knew all about homicidal maniacs. She thought the topic was quite interesting, although she kept her obsession to herself, since she knew many of the townspeople might think it was morbid or strange, and such perceptions would not fare well for her other antique, for her antique business. Undoubtedly, the churchwomen would think her media preferences were downright scandalous, just like the church folk had thought her teenage preoccupation with heavy metal music was reprehensible. Jane had always hated attending church services, and she often dreamed about burning the church to the ground. When she was younger, her fantasies had been so intense that she could practically smell the smoke and feel the heat of the flames. But it was all in her mind, of course. She would never actually do such a thing. Truthfully, she had never actually done much of anything. She had never journeyed out of the state, or had neither a nemesis nor a kiss. When she was a girl, she had escaped into a fairy tale, fairy tales and films like Labyrinth, hoping that one day something special would happen to her. Yet, nothing exciting ever did happen until those snow figures appeared. They were, by far, her highlight of the year, maybe even the decade, and that was why they intrigued her. It was also why she had lied to Officer Palmer about the key. Like everyone else, she had received one in her mailbox, but she swore to the police that she hadn't, 
They were collecting them to test on every lock in town, and although Jane was desperately curious about their purpose, she did not want to surrender hers. It was so shiny and small and captivating. Jane never tired of gazing at it. Officer Palmer had given her a funny look when she denied having a key, and Jane knew that he had pled pegged her for a liar. Perhaps she was now a suspect. Maybe they thought she had been behind the whole affair. Jane didn't mind. There was no evidence against her, and at 46 years old, she was an unlikely candidate to go around building hundreds of frightening snowman creatures. Officer Henley was more accepting of her claim. Jane's house was on the edge of town. Perhaps it was the last one that the perpetrators had gotten to, and they had either run out of keys or simply forgotten to leave one. In the days that followed, Jane wondered if the police would come back and arrest her. She hadn't done anything to warrant such an event, but of course, but she anticipated the possibility. Getting arrested would certainly be a new experience, and one that would undoubtedly prove to be quite memorable memorable i'm sorry <laughs> yet jane did not get arrested and now nearly two weeks since the snow figures appeared the authorities still had no leads on who had left the keys or what they unlocked jane was bitterly disappointed and she seriously considered starting her own investigation it would certainly help her pass the time as the winter approached Barrington had particularly long and bitterly cold winters, and Jane spent most of the months of December through March home alone. As she stared down at the small silver key, Jane smiled. It was a present from some unknown giver, yet it might just grant her the gift of adventure, something she had never known. That night, Jane locked up her shop and drove home as usual. She kept the radio tuned to her local country music station. That was a perfectly acceptable choice of audio in Barrington. Yet as soon as she got outside the town limits, she slid an old black Sabbath CD into her aging car's player and bobbed her head to the sound of Lady Evil. One of the past ten over the past 10 days, Jane had started listening to the beloved music of her long-lost youth once again. It both revived and soothed her. Mostly, it helped her black out the voices. Normally, Jane only heard the voices in her dreams. Ever since early childhood, she had reoccurring visions of dancing with monsters. Upon the arrival of the snow figures, those dreams had come back in full force, except this time she was dancing with demons made of snow. Although most people would categorize such dreams as nightmares, Jane adored them. The macabre land of her dreams was so enticing, so enthralling compared to the bleak world she awoke to daily. Jane smirked as she glanced into the rearview mirror. St. Edward's Church was disappearing into the background. She remembered how the churchgoers had recite, reacted to her wild stories and fantasies when she had been young and foolish enough to confess them. But Jane really did hear things. Sometimes, the whispering voices told her to play with knives and turn on the stove's gas. At first, she had obeyed them and carried out whatever whims they instructed, but she had quickly learned that listening to those nighttime whispers in daytime hours was a bad idea. 
specifically when you were being raised by people like Elmira and Andy Weston. Jane didn't know who her real parents were since she had been left on the steps of the church, bundled up in a blanket. Preacher Warren had found her and intended to take her to the orphanage until Elmira had begged him to let her and Andy adopt the abandoned child. The Westons were religious, church-going, childless folk, childless folks, and Preacher Warren readily surrendered Jane to them and thereby sealed her fate. Elmira and Andy never let Jane forget her mysterious roots. We saved you from a life of destitution, they said. You owe us, they accused. You better remember where you came from, they scolded. Elmira and Annie always Elmira and Andy always had a lot to say to Jane, mostly unflattering speculation about her parentage. Eventually, they decided that her mother was probably a teenage prostitute and her father a criminal who had escaped from prison. They forever watched over Jane and scolded her whenever they even imagined that she might be considering taking something that didn't belong to her or wearing her skirt even slightly above her knee. The Westons had always been very firm about one thing. Jane's bad genes would not be justification for poor behavior. Jane had no idea if her mother really was a woman of easy virtue and her father a brute, but as she got older, she grew increasingly tempted to do naughty things. Wicked things. She tried to be good, but sometimes her urges pushed her to behave most incorrigibly. At church, she gazed at the beautiful stained glass windows and wondered what they would sound like shattering. At age 11, she had used a payphone in the center of the town to call 911 and then remained silent on the line, just to see if ambulances would arrive. Much to her delight, they did, with the lights flashing and sirens blaring. Another time, she had faked being sick until the EMS came and took her to the hospital. It had been a marvelous experience for Jane, who soaked up all the attention of the doctors and nurses. But Elmira and Andy were so angry about the, sleep, the steep bill that she never dared to feign illness again. Andy had been a mechanic who restored and sold old cars and tractors, and Elmira had quit her job in the post office mailroom to become a stay-at-home mom. Their limited finances were often attributed to Jane, their extra mouth to feed. For over a decade, Jane toyed with the idea of setting fire to one of Andy's beloved restored cars, but she never got the nerve. Alas, that was usually the case with Jane. She often had wonderful ideas for making mischief, but she simply lacked the will to carry out those acts of mayhem. As a child, she had written letters to fairies and trolls and placed them in the letterbox, hoping someone, something, would find her and take her away. Every time she saw a freight train, she fantasized about hopping on it, heading off on a big adventure. As a teenager, she had seriously considered jumping off the bridge and plummeting into the icy water below, where her body would mingle with all the fish that Andy frequently hunted. Her suicidal inclinations had been so strong that she had actually stood up on the bridge once and very nearly jumped, but balked when she considered the physics of the matter. The bridge was low, and if she had jumped, she would probably just have ended up cold and wet, not dead. Besides, such an endeavor could certainly have landed her in a psychiatric hospital, and that was 
an experience that seemed too unpleasant to risk, even for someone as bored as she was. Jane's eerily quiet nature had made her especially solitary, yet she never felt alone. Truthfully, she didn't think that she was capable of feeling most of the emotions that other people did. She didn't want to go to school dances, or flirt with boys, or giggle at sleepovers. She was much more inclined to take long walks alone through Skyberg Cemetery. The name Skyberg enthralled her. It sounded exotic, so otherworldly. She had spent hours there fantasizing about being the Empress of the Dead. Jane had always possessed a vivid imagination. Sometimes she wished that the long-distance truckers passing through town would make eyes at her like they did the local waitresses. There were occasions when she had intentionally loitered around the highway rest stops, hoping to attract some rough-shaven character, but her mousy appearance left her perpetually unnoticed. From time to time, she even walked past the Elmcrest Hotel, looking for some new and interesting faces, but no one outstanding ever seemed to materialize. Monotony was the calling card of her existence. For a while, Jane had gotten away with her peculiarities, but in 1983, everything changed after Andy barged into Jane's blandly decorated bedroom and discovered her dancing to Black Sabbath, Lady Evil. The Westons were a God-fearing couple, and they were not at all pleased about the ward in their care, listening to the devil's music. And so 15-year-old Jane had been forced into one Bible study group after another, all of them led by Preacher Warren. In the years since he had found her abandoned on the church steps, Preacher Warren had aged prematurely. All the lines on his face deepened and his hair thinned. His temper got shorter. Most of his Bible study groups included fevered screaming about damnation and eternal suffering. Yet Jane never complained about attending his sessions. She enjoyed it. Especially all the fire and brimstone stuff. Preacher Warren's rants were extremely entertaining, and it was thanks to him that she had discovered the artwork of Hieronyms Bosch. Hieronyms Bosch. Preacher Warren firmly believed in the power of fear, and he obsessively searched for unique ways to terrorize his congregation, especially the poor souls who attended his Bible studies. One day, Preacher Warren had passed around postcards portraying an oil-painted painting titled The Garden of Earthly Delights by an artist named Hieronyms Bosch. The painting was filled with depictions of deprivation, most of it sexual in nature, and many demonic figures of assorted shapes and sizes. Most of the fortunate churchgoers were horrified by the artistic hellscape, but Jane was nothing short of enraptured. Barriton was not a town that placed much emphasis on art. Had it not been for the fear of Preacher Warren, Jane most likely never would have found out about the 16-inch century Dutch painter who had so aptly illustrated the creatures in her dreams. As soon as she saw his work, Jane immediately understood that the artist had obviously seen the same beings that she did. Some of the depictions had been so exact that they had taken her breath away. 
Although Preacher Warren had been trying to scare her, he had actually provoked her curiosity in all things demonic and turned her into a lifelong admirer of Bosch. Years later, when she acquired the internet, she spent hours observing each and every one of his demon-laced pieces. As Jane pulled into her modest home's driveway and switched off the car's engine, she smiled. Just thinking about the mesmerizing painting delighted her. The postcard was now sitting atop her mantle, claiming the honorable position that it deserved. Jane always took the time to admire it. As soon as she got home, she hoped it would help her dream of dancing with the demons every night when she was usually the highlight of her otherwise loathsome days. That night, Jane awoke with a start to the sound of the wailing wind. She clutched instinctively at the silver key which she kept hidden in the pocket of her pajama top. No one was going to take her treasure. When she glanced out the bedroom window, she saw a distant light in the woods. Jane still lived in the house that she had grown up in. She had inherited it from Elmira and Andy when they passed on, and Andy first from a sudden heart attack at the age of 68. Elmira, seven years later, after a long bout with euthsemia, Jane didn't miss them, nor had she felt much pain or grief at their departure. She had been rather relieved, in fact. Life was less troublesome without them. But in all the years spent in the house, Jane had never known anyone to light a fire in the woods, especially on cold, windy, snowy nights. This was something very unusual, something that warranted immediate investigation. Jane hopped out of bed and quickly dressed in her warmest parka. Donning gloves, she bounded out into the snow, holding nothing but a flashlight. In the back of her mind, she knew that she ought to be afraid, but on some deeper level, she knew that she was going to be okay. That light was intended for her. It was calling to her. It was inviting her. Jane trudged through the snow for what seemed like an eternity, but she barely felt the air's bitter chill. She heard movement all around her, and from the corners of her eyes, thought she saw misshapen snow figures, scurrying between the tree trunks, snickering. Jane giggled too. This was quite an adventure. As she fought her way through the ever-climbing snowbanks, Jane spied a small ramshackle cabin that the light was emanating from. She thought that she had explored every inch of the woods, but clearly she was mistaken because she had never seen this old cabin before. It looked quite ancient. As she got closer to it, Jane could smell a fireplace mixed with something else, something that smelled absolutely exquisite, like roasting meat. The door was made of wood that looked as old as time. Jane gripped the iron door handle and pulled only to discover that it was locked. At first, a crushing sense of disappointment reigned upon her, but then she remembered the key. As her fingers shook with anticipation, she slid the key into the lock and turned. With a click, the door creaked open. She had solved the riddle of its purpose. Jane stepped into the cabin with excitement pulsing through her veins. To her surprise, the cabin was empty, except for a small lit fireplace embedded in the right wall and a spiraling staircase that led downward. 
this was something entirely unexpected, since Jane could have sworn that cabins rarely had basements. From the bowels below came the sound of music and laughter mingled with bright lights and good smells. Jane immediately started her descent. The steep and seeming, seemingly endless staircase twisted and turned like a conch shell, carved between walls of pure red rock. The steps shone with a golden glow. When Jane eventually got to the bottom, she gasped in disbelief at the scene before her. She was standing in a landscape that looked very similar to the Garden of Earthly Delights from Bosch's painting. There were dark caverns, but there were also patches of oasis filled with beautiful clear water and lush green vegetation. The creatures from her dreams abounded in the abstract scenery. Most of them were naked, dancing and singing and drinking. As soon as she stepped off the staircase, they all turned to face her. Jane, they serenaded and bowed down to her. Before Jane could react, booming footsteps shook the cavern and the sea of demons parted to make way for a huge creature with blue skin and several arms, numerous eyes, and a many, many rows of sharp teeth. The creature wore a silky black cape and a thorn crown. Jane instantly recognized his shape as being the same as the snow figure that had graced her lawn. The creature approached her and extended one of its hands. Jane noticed that its fingers were adorned with dozens of sparkling rings. I am Zadkor, king of the Underlands, he declared. You have seen me in your dreams, yes? Jane nodded ecstatically. Did you make all of the figures in the snow and leave the keys, she questioned? Zadkor nodded. In Bareton? James stammered. There must be better places than this. Zakdor shrugged. There's sugar here. We like sugar. Some might even say that we are addicted to it. Jane observed that most of the demons were covered in sugar. Many were greedily licking it from their hands and garments. They reminded her of kids in a candy store. I do hope that you liked our snow sculptures, Zadkor continued. Each one was the exact likeness of my most devoted followers. They were sent as an invitation to you. But everyone in town had a figure on their lawn and a key in the mailbox, Jane protested. Zadkor waved his arms dismissively. It was just a bit of fun, he answered. Scaring mortals is amazingly amusing. Besides, I know that you would be the only one clever enough to catch on. The only one special enough. After all, I am searching for a queen. But surely there are female demons, Jane exclaimed, awestruck. Wouldn't they be better matched for you than I, a mere mortal? Why would you bestow such an honor on me? Haven't you always heard our whispers and visited our world in your dreams? You are one of us, Jane. You've always known it. All your life. Jane felt herself blush and hoped that her crimson complexion would be unnoticeable in the hot landscape. It was hell, but it was beautiful and alluring. 
Jane already knew that she never wanted to leave. Imagining a world without boredom or routine or monotony, Zadkor commanded. Every moment of every day here is a festival. Come, my prize. Let me show you. Jane allowed the demon to take her in his arms. They spent what seemed like an eternity dancing the heavy metal tunes, frolicking amid the forbidden fruits of the twisted trees and drinking from the plentiful fountains. Then they dined on the most exquisite exotic meat that Jane had ever tasted. It was pure bliss. After the meal was finished, Zadkor handed Jane a crumbled piece of paper with dried blood on it. Jane squinted as she strained to read the strange language printed on the paper. Drastevo is a company that produces wood lumber and board materials in Shizek Republic, or Czech Republic. Zadkor explained, one of my lordesses got her human meat from there. He's here with us now. A chill crept up Jane's spine. Vaguely, she remembered watching a news report about Czech lumber worker who went crazy and murdered a number of other loggers before killing himself. Most of the bodies had been dismembered. Some were never found. Jane was fairly certain that the company the man worked for had been the same as the one printed on the bloodied piece of paper. I can give you everything you want, Zadkor declared. Riches, power, everlasting excitement, even youth. As he spoke, a smaller demon with a sick-like body, six eyes, and bird-like beak held a mirror in front of Jane. To her amazement, she looked thirty years younger. Sixteen at most. She squealed with glee as Zagkor continued his speech. This can be your home, too. Would you like that? Yes, Jane exclaimed. Provided that you agree to my terms, I think we can reach an agreement, the Demon King replied. Anything, Jane wailed. Zadkor chuckled. Eagerness. I like that in a lady. What I most desire are people, preferably pure and innocent ones. The sinless tend to provide the best souls and most delicious meat, as you now know. Jane recoiled. She had not considered that the meat she had dined upon was human. Then again, what did it matter? A meal that delicious was nothing to scorn, no matter what it came from. Some generations are tastier than others, Zadkor said, controversially. We had grand feasts in 1930 and 1990. Now, I think it's high time for another. Jane remembered looking up Bariton's population record and seeing severe dips in the populace, both in 1930 and in 1990. She had always assumed that it was due to people leaving town during the Depression and Recession, yet now it was obvious that some unfortunates had also been devoured by demons. How about children, Jane suggested. Would they be tasty enough for you, my love? Zadkor licked his lips, clearly pleased. Apparently children were an especially desirable flavor. Jane knew what needed to be done. scared what's she about to do make a pizza <laughs> reluctantly she ascended the staircase knowing that the quicker she finished her earthly duties the faster she could return to the euphoria of the demon's realm it was already down when she ran 
It was already down when she ran through the snowy forest, unmindful of the cold and ice, determined only to reach the woodshed and fetch her axe. She had already sharpened the blade. It was ready for action. After years of consuming media fixated on murders, Jane finally understood their motives. The Czech man hadn't been crazy, he'd been enlightened, just like she was now. Nothing had ever happened in Veriton, but now she was going to make some things happen. There was carnage in the hours that ensued. She went to Gulander's hardware store first. The grizzled owner barely had time to register her presence before she sank the axe deep into his chest. Relieved that there was no one else present to massacre, Jane rummaged through the aisles collecting plastic bags and the ropes that she would need to restrain the children who she intended to bring back to the demons. <laughs> to the underlands alive! The demons would decide whether to keep them as slaves or eat them. Jane had no preferences one way or another. Next, she went to Lefty's Liquors. She couldn't imagine returning to the Underlands without booze, since the demons would surely save her alcohol. Lefty's Liquors was busier than the hardware store. Several lapsed AA veterans, not that there was anything actually anonymous about who were alcoholics in a town as small as Barrington, always seemed to be stumbling around nearby regardless of the weather conditions, nor the time of day. With ease, Jane dispatched two drunks and Lefty himself. Then she scooped up dozens of bottles of vodka and whiskey and gin. Before exiting Lefty's, Jane butchered the corpses of the slaughtered winnows and collected their meatiest parts in a large plastic bag. Although such characters could hardly be called sinless, their constant intake of litter might have liquor might have marinated their flesh to tender perfection. Jane assumed that the demons would know how to make a lovely potluck out of such human remains. Trudging through the snow in her blood-soaked boots, Jane ventured into Drayton, Drayton Drug. The shop was already decked out in Christmas decor, and the festive atmosphere irked her. She had never cared for Christmas. Santa had never come to her because, as her adopted parents said, she was evil. Lady Evil, Jane whispered and crackled as she struck a blue-haired elderly shopper with her hatchet and then split the young pharmacist in half. She proceeded to raid the prescription medication counter. She strongly assumed that the demons would be delighted by the pills. Lastly, she headed towards the school. Her final earthly destination, Jane's joy, was indescribable. Once these deeds were done, she would be gone from Barrington forever, having archived her ticket back to hell, her wicked little slice of heaven. The following day, the news relayed the story to the shocked public. Jane Weston, 46, had gone on a murderous rampage in the tiny town of Barrington, North Dakota, leaving 10 people dead and 14 wounded. Before being fatally shot by police, Jane had attempted to kidnap several small children from an elementary school. Local residents claimed that Jane had long bottles, had long battles with depression and mental instability, and had spent her last hour alive ranting about demons. She had accepted her invitation. And that was the tale of the invitation.
it's always interesting, guys, when we do these longer stories. Um, I know some people, you know, dislike them. Some people like them. In a short story, it's just it doesn't have the build up, and that's a positive and a negative. I think, you know, the negative is it's just such a slow burn. The positive is the payoff is way better usually on a longer story than when you read a really like three paragraph one. I knew it was mental illness, but it just kept going and going. And it's like, is this in her head? Did this actually happen? Like, is this more fantasy? And it's like, okay, no, it was in her head. Like, like again, it was like, it's like, talk to me. But, um, yeah. But I like the demon. I like the little twist in the end about the demon. It's like, oh, was it an invitation? Yeah. Oh, that's creepy as hell. Kids, don't do drugs. Don't I hate do this, like, man, it's you look so fat when I'm just sitting here with a pillow behind my back. So it makes me look like I'm distended. Like, hey, guys. I was wondering if you noticed. I'm sorry, Brett. I've, uh, <laughs> Gained you about look 30 like pounds. an Oompa Loompa. Because <laughs> you like so uh, And your shirt is just so bright. It's so bright. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Can't wait to see you next week. On Spirits and Ghost Stories. Bye. Bye.